Oh, 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 well, 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 welcome to another episode of the Insert SEO Podcast, where we dispense more SEO insights than a personal injury lawyer hands out frivolous lawsuits. Today, we'll hear from content and SEO expert, Carolyn Leiden, as we get into content strategy, thinking about brand identity when setting up content pillars, how to best target users with your content while keeping a dash of inner creativity alive. Learn a great way to create harmony between your content and SEO teams. We'll also get into the most recent Google update and some of the new SERP feature data trends. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by the ferociously ferocious, the grandly grandiose Kim Ragones. Thank you, Morty. It's always good to be here. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm a little bit under the weather. Well, not really. I'm not really under the weather. I'm contagious. Oh, okay. That's why I'm not in the office today. That's why I'm not. In the, I'm sorry. The Rank Ranger recording studio. You know, the padded, carpeted walls. Because <laughs> I'm contagious. Yes. Not my personality. I'm like actually contagious. Oh, okay. That's what happens Good. when we have we four appreciate kids. Appreciate you staying away. Thank you. In general or just today? Uh-huh. today. Uh, put you on the spot like that. <laughs> okay. okay do not forget we release a new episode of the in search seo podcast each and every tuesday you can find on the rank ranger blog you can find it on soundcloud and do not forget and we would be very appreciative if you subscribed on itunes so while i'm really excited to get into our interview with carolyn Leiden today who by the way is the uh, moderator for seo chat on twitter i need to talk to y'all about some of the most recent google update data and image Boxes on the SERP as we are going data once again. So it's it's my worst nightmare. That is your worst nightmare? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you that you're afraid of? You don't have any problems in your life? That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. Google updates are my biggest problem, I know. No, actually, they, no, okay. It's my, my, my worst nightmare in my SEO life. My, my actual worst nightmare is my childhood. Um, that's a little bit of a downer. Anyway, back to my SEO life. Uh, my worst nightmare is Barry Schwartz asking me on Twitter, hey, I saw the, the last Google update and uh, what's going on with it? And I'm like, uh, nothing because I didn't look into it yet because I hate looking into Google updates. Okay, I hate rummaging through the data. It's very hard to find a pattern most of the times. And so, of course, I'm like, oh, crap. I, I got to dig into this quickly because it's Twitter and I can't really reply tomorrow. And that was a lot of fun. So what did you find? So let's jump back for a minute first. Okay, the most recent update, the most recent Google update per our rank risk index began on February 26th and ended on March 2nd, okay? So there were two big spikes. One was on the 27th and another on March 2nd. Okay, so what we did see pretty conclusively that the second spike in the series, the second large spike in the series of fluctuations, of rank fluctuations that occurred on March 2nd was not a reversal. In other words, per our data, when Google hit y'all sites on the 27th, it, it didn't come back from the dead on the 2nd. Okay, If your rankings crash, they crash. If y'all got a boost, you got a boost. Um, that's mm. not to say there were not some reversals. There were a few sites that displayed such a tendency. For example, um, some, I'm not saying Amazon overall. I didn't look at Amazon overall, but Amazon for a group of keywords that I tracked showed a, a downturn in the beginning of the of the rollout of the update, and then it saw a spike back up. Yes, okay, there were some reversals. I'm not saying, no, if we're always going to find that. That's just how it goes, okay? But for the most part, that was not what we found. I wouldn't call a reversal when 80% of the sites that we looked at didn't show any of that tendency at all. For example, there's a group of keywords that I tracked for 
for the travel niche or TripAdvisor, things like that. And their visibility score, okay, let me, let me, I'll give you the example from TripAdvisor. And this is not for a large set of keywords, it's for a couple hundred keywords. So TripAdvisor visibility score on the 27th of February was 2,085 for this very limited set of keywords that I tracked. Okay, that went down to 1,549 on March 2nd. So it got hit by the update. On March 4th, by March 4th rather, um, the visibility score is back up to 1,603. So it was up 50 points. Okay, that's a slight pickup, but that's not a reversal. Okay, so there's that. Okay, the reversal, if there was any, overall was marginal at best. That's what we saw, and, and that's that. Okay, now then there's this. Kim, tell us what we've won with image boxes. Yes, since February 18th, image boxes have undergone a 20% loss on the SERP. This pattern was seen on both de desktop and mobile in multiple markets around the world. Yippers, by the way, that 20% loss is on desktop in the U.S. Each market saw its own, its own unique loss, but again, the trend was the same. So dug into this a little bit. And they found a ton of local keywords that lost the image box with a tendency for some product keywords as well. So think keywords like Hotel in Los Angeles, California, Hotel in Monarch Beach, Hotel, uh, hotel Jobs Durham, Hotel Jobs Raleigh, North Carolina, Hotel Kentucky Derby, Hotel Los Angeles, Hotels near LAX with free shuttle service, Hotels near Los Angeles Convention Center, Hotels near Oakland, Hotels near Rodeo Drive, Hotels near T-Mobile Arena, Hotels near Universal Studios, Florida. That was exhausting. Okay, but those are real keywords that I saw that lost the image box, by the way. These are searches all have the word hotel in them? Um, yeah, because I just, there was literally thousands of keywords. And I just took a chunk from, from you know, alphabetically. So hotels. Okay. That's, okay. That's, that, they weren't all hotels. Just, I wasn't going to read you like thousands upon thousands of keywords. That's crazy. Unless you want me to, I could. No, no, that's uh, plenty. Thank you. Are you sure? Uh, mm -hmm. I, yes. the, the offer stands anytime you want. I'll read all of them, literally. I'll keep it in mind. After the show, yeah? Sure. <laughs> okay, great. You have nothing better to do today. Okay, <laughs> so data is done. Interview with the great Carolyn Lighted now. You're going to love this one. She was great. Some great ideas. I had to cut through it all and get your overall content strategy on the move. So cut one. It is time for yet another expert to join the In Search SEO podcast. Today, we have a finalist for the Search Marketer of the Year Award for 2018. She is listed as one of the top SEO experts you should follow in 2019, according to Search Engine Journal. She is Karen Leiden. Thank you so much for coming Hi. on. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited that you are here. So I don't really always have the, the joy of having a real content person on the, on the show. So can I ask you? <laughs> that's right, fist bump. Can I ask you? What is, okay, what is the, the, your favorite thing to write about and or what is the weirdest thing you ever had to write about? Oh, okay. So my favorite things, I really like really writing about things that are going on in like the, the marketing industry. I like writing about content. It's, sort of, it's kind of meta. Like I like writing about marketing, but I also like writing about like tech, what's going on in software. I've worked at a couple of software companies. So that sort of like even just the process is interesting to me. And then how businesses run, those are things I really prefer, not prefer, but I just find joy in researching and writing content about. The weirdest thing I've probably written about, so one of my first jobs in content, I was I worked for a small agency that would write, uh, we had a lot of plastic surgeon clients, so I would have to watch the surgery and then <laughs> describe it so that it didn't sound like it was like a terrifying thing. And I am like the most 
squeamish person <laughs> when it comes to that sort of thing. <laughs> so I'd like watch a rhinoplasty and they were like hammering a chisel into someone's nose. And I had to be like, oh, like slight, you know, like barely, like make it sound like it didn't like be excruciating and you didn't have like giant bruises all over your face afterwards. That sounds like almost horrific. Gentle numbing and things like that. <laughs> oh my it was, God. It was gross <laughs> that sounds terrible i can never handle it i am a, i'm horrible I, pa- I i'll admit this on air i pass out at the doctor when they take blood i can't handle it for some reason i have to look away and i like sweat right. all over the chair when they do it <laughs> <laughs> so the worst part is my, my wife is a nurse and she constantly makes fun oh, of no. me about this yeah oh man <laughs> i get i get no i get no rest for that one okay so since we're talking about content let's talk about more content and content <laughs> pillars and all that good stuff so for the audience out there who may not be familiar with what a content pillar is, would you just mind explaining um, what is a content pillar? Yeah, so my interpretation of content pillars is essentially you create an overarching like theme for your business. You obviously have a certain target audience and there are certain things that they're interested in that relate to your business. So the, to me, the pillar is essentially creating these stacks of content that all relate back up to a top level you know, topic or I feel like in SEO, we're always like talking about keywords and then, you know, like there's this weird battles. You know, is it a keyword? Is it a topic? Is it a key phrase? But I think it's like the general idea of what's an overarching umbrella that all these other pieces of content can fall under so that we can relate them to one another and then relate them back to this overarching uh, topic content idea. Oh, okay. So, that makes, so is, it, is that integrally tied to brand identity or does it not have to be? Do you think? Um, I think in, in my opinion, uh, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later too, like I think it should be sort of tied to your brand identity. And um, uh, I think a lot of people are like, oh, but I want to create pieces of content that aren't like, they're like tangentially related to what I'm actually doing. And I really think that has to do with creating pieces of content for the different stages of the funnel. Like you can fit it under the pillar. It'll just be a top of funnel piece of content where, you know, like if you're searching for shoes and you, or you're a shoe company, someone's searching for shoes and you want to show up, you're going to have to write the, like, best running shoes for women um, this year or something like that, which you're like, well, you know, that may not be what we're all about, but that's the top funnel piece that's going to draw in the people who will then eventually convert into customers. Right. So, okay, let me take a, let me take a step back then because I, think, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Where do you start off with creating a pillar? And I, I have a problem. There's when I, I have a vision of where I want to go, where I want my content to be, and I sort of have a very lofty um, plan for it. But at the same time, it's not user-focused at all. It's just completely my own, right, my own... Um, it's according to my own preferences, my own way of thinking about things. But at the same time, I, there are moments where I say, okay, the content has to be user-focused. What problems are my users faced with? And how do I create content that aligns to those user problems? How do you sort of balance that? How do you sort of balance focusing on the user, but at the same time catering to how you see things and your, you know, the internal vision that really motivates you? Yeah, I think one way to do that is to assign your pillars to individual like target audiences. So you could say like this quarter, we're really focusing on growing our business in this particular product area. Who are the target audiences that have problems that our product or service could potentially solve those problems? And then just go ahead and make the pillars for that specific need into those audience members. So maybe it's startups, maybe you're targeting agencies. Maybe you're targeting small businesses. Go ahead and make the pillars those target audiences, and then you can create the pieces of content that you think would serve them best, but also have your perspective on your business or service related to those individual audiences' pain points. 
Right. So I mean, you mean to say that that greater the greater theme should align to or the greater themes rather should align to each user's problem, and you can take it from there and fill in how you want to go about it at that point. If I understand you yeah, right, okay. Sure. I think yeah. that's like a good general. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, because I think oftentimes, like as marketers, as marketers, will like I don't know. I have a problem where I like dig in, I see a bunch of research, and I write it, and I'm like, man, this is the article I'd want to read. And then when you step out of your own bubble, you're like, oh man, that like nobody else cares about it in this like from this point of view or from this perspective. So oftentimes, it's like recrafting your own, you know, the piece you've created for yourself to how it works for the people you're actually trying to sell to. Yeah, I, I know that feeling too well, unfortunately. I was just doing a conference recently for technical writers and we're talking about how to leverage SERP features, why you need to you know, consider the SERP features. I'm talking to somebody before the, before, the, um, before the presentation and I'm thinking, oh man, like my perspective on this and, and his perspective on this, and he's a technical writer, are two totally different things. I ha- like in the next 10 minutes, I better figure out a way to sort of bridge that gap real quick. Um, it's like oh, our worst nightmare. Feel, like sweaty for you and nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it's that's where being quick on my feet and being a uh, a, fir- a first class schmoozer comes well into uh to, into into perspective. Anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> I always love being around those people. I feel like if you have a good schmoozer friend, like you can do anything in life because they can you can just tag along with the schmoozer. See, I used to not be. I used to be a terrible schmoozer. And it's like only later in life. I don't know what I think. It's maybe having kids and having to sell things that I don't, I don't really believe into them. That's made me yeah. a much better schmoozer. Like you know, you need to definitely go to bed now. I would go to bed now if it were, if it were me. Brushing my teeth is fun. Right. <laughs> that's, that's that was literally the fight this morning on the way out the door to school. Okay, so talking about personal experience, when I used to teach, there was there was this idea of backwards planning, which I which I always hated. But anyway, it was a big thing. So you basically you start off with. The assessment, the test, and what questions you want the students to be able to answer by the time you're by the time you're done teaching them, and you basically create content, you create lesson plans that hit on those questions. Okay, so this is this of course is basically a great idea. It sounds like a great idea when creating a content pillar. You start off with what do you want the audience to know, what do you want your users to know, what problems are they facing, and what do you what do you want them to walk away with in terms of solutions. Except that I found when I was actually doing this, when I was teaching, creating uh, when creating teaching units that it completely stifled creativity at certain points. And it lends itself to a certain amount of inflexibility. So obviously having that goal in mind is, is a big deal and it's important you have to do that. But at the same time, to what extent should you backwards plan when creating a content pillar? In other words, how effective is it to, th- to first think about what channels you want to hit and with what sort of content? And what are the pitfalls you have to be careful when doing that? Yeah, so in my previous job, the SEO department was separate from the content department. So we this actually came up very frequently because like the SEO team would be like, this is what you need to do. You need to hit these bullet points. Everything needs, like, key, you need keywords in your titles. You need to do this. You need to do that. And the content team was like, but we want freedom. Like, we need to be creative. And, you know, like, you're stifling us, that sort of thing. So we had to sort of, like, meet in the middle and figure out the best ways that, yeah, the SEO boxes were checked but the the content team felt that they had the freedom that that we weren't like prescribing everything that they should write and in that case they would have been like well then you just write it because like (laughs) we don't want to write (laughs) this from your point of view so one way that we sort of figured out a good middle ground was we came up with this content matrix which i sort of referenced earlier which is where we put in we have this so every quarter we'd have an overarching theme essentially so our theme this quarter is we're really targeting these specific groups and for each of those groups we come up with a set of pain points like 
what are the actual, let's go talk to these people. What are their actual pain points? So this is sort of like the backup, like you were saying, or like planning things out in advance so that we can know what actually resonates with people and sort of have like, this is the end goal is we're going to solve these pain points for you or show how that our how our product or service solves these pain points for you. So with that in mind, we would sort of create a pillar for each individual target audience, like I mentioned before, and then just line out the pain points essentially in rows. So the pillars in a, in a spreadsheet would be the columns. The rows across would be maybe four pain points for a specific audience in that or a specific target audience. And so we'd say like maybe for, you know, if we're targeting agencies, what are their actual pain points? We think their pain points are this, but we go and talk to them. And it's really that like they want to increase retainers and they deal with client turnover and communication is a big thing. So how can we at the top of the funnel address those pain points? Like, yeah, man, that really sucks. How can we in general address your pain point and say this is the top of funnel way that we would address that? And so we would just be like, here's the pain point content team. You know what SEO is looking for. And here are the questions that people ask around it. So actual user feedback. Here are what people go online to search when they search for this specific topic at the top of funnel. And you figure out how you answer that. However, you know, like fits your creative boat, whether it's like a, you know, quick baby buzzfeed thing, like five ways to increase your client retainer for agencies, or it's like just a how to do this with step-by-step sort of thing. Like, what do you think works best? with your like creative content perspective so it's like giving people the tools and then letting them build whatever they need to build with that um, information that that sounds amazingly comprehensive has it have you noticed it before you adopted this versus after you adopted this can you describe can you tell me what the what the impact looks like yeah so before like i said there was a lot of contention i think between like content and seo because seo is like we need these strict things and here are the questions you should be answering and content was like, well, you're like stifling our creativity. And like, we've done kind of research and we know how to talk to people. Like we were hired in this job to write specifically for these people. So I think afterwards, there was actually a lot of buy-in on our team. So people were very involved in creating the matrix. We'd have a big meeting for, you know, it was like, we'd bring lunch in and everybody would eat. And we would talk about things that, you know, we had just seen like, oh, I saw someone wrote about this on LinkedIn. Um, maybe that would be something that we could address for this individual audience in the middle of the funnel because that seems like a pain point that that audience has. So people can bring in their own experiences and sort of be involved creatively in the ideation process. And then from there, they feel very inspired to continue and create the content once, and then also promote it once it's published because they're like, I had this idea and this is answering that specific person's question on LinkedIn or whatever else. So you've basically created buy-in from both sides at the same time. Which yeah, is, which is it amazing. Was, it, it wasn't just me creating it. I mean, it was like the whole team working together and everybody sort of coming together to problem solve that sort of thing. But yeah, it got buy-in in both sides. And I think it also helped everyone see the other's perspective. Whereas, you know, like, you know, like a lot of times SEO has certain traffic goals and conversion goals. And it's sometimes harder to measure content. Like, yay, we have brand awareness. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Is that like branded searches? I don't know for sure. So um, I think it helps tie people in to also see like hey these are this is the end goal i'm trying to reach and i don't have full control over like what's going out so how can we work together so that both of us can meet these goals and then also as a part of that process the content team was like we want number goals too like how can we have goals to prove that we're you know trying driving 
conversions and bringing value to the company. So that's like, of course, the match made in heaven version. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there was some sort of Nobel Prize for you know, the Nobel Peace Prize in the SEO industry or the content industry, I think you guys would get it. Yay. <laughs> Thank <Right>. you. <laughs> I'll prepare my speech. I, I, hope, I, I hope our own teams are listening to this. <laughs> wink, <Yeah>. wink. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Let me ask you. Okay, so it used to be the consensus that um, creating a content pillar or a pillar page, rather, was sort of SEO mana from heaven. So do you think that still holds true considering how saturated the content market is and how competitive the content market is and how predisposed Google is to use its own SERP features, thereby limiting traffic to a page? Yeah, I think, well, I don't know that it's necessarily manna from heaven. I'm not going to like float my own boat and be like, this is the best thing I've ever thought of and everyone bowed to me. But I really That's think- funny because every, every, every article that says top five ways to build a content pillar says this is the most important thing you could ever do. I'm so confused. Right. Which um, I think... Uh, Actually, I don't know if we can mention it here, but I think HubSpot like created this concept of like pillar pieces of content when they said they quote unquote like created inbound marketing sort of thing. And and I think because inbound marketing is you know the thing like now uh, consumers have more control over what sort of marketing we engage in, and you know like we can fast forward through commercials now, and right. we don't have to we like recycle the direct mail that comes to our house and spam email, we just unsubscribe sort of thing. So like as consumers, we have more control um, over the marketing messages that are presented to us. So I think because inbound marketing, where we're actually trying to solve users' problems and serve their needs, and it's more about them than it is about us, means that like this concept of content pillars has also become like up on a pedestal. And like you were saying, like manna from heaven, it's the only way to do things. But I think it, it kind of depends on your business. And sometimes you have to do what works best for your business. Um, and sometimes that's not like a content pillar, to be honest. I, I, you asked me earlier, like, what was the weirdest industry I worked in? So right. I worked in plastic surgery, but I also worked in funeral homes. Oh, I yeah. see that, that goes hand in hand. Uh, I th- if things, I, if things go poorly, really. right? <laughs> but like funeral homes, there's only you can create content for them. You know, we created when I worked there, we created content around events and like support groups and how to like move on and you know, like while remembering your loved one. But there's only a certain amount of content you can create and oftentimes what drives the most business and conversions for them isn't necessarily the content. The content just helps like create the community and, you know, brand awareness sort of thing. Right. Very understated brand awareness. Yeah, yeah. But for certain people, like small local businesses, like funeral homes, what works best for them was like local SEO tactics and advertising for the in the local pack and that sort of thing, and and things like that you wouldn't expect, like social media, like building online communities and that sort of thing. So I I don't think it's necessarily like you know I'm not tooting or like you know tooting my own horn or think that what I do is the best thing that's ever happened to the marketing universe. I think content is important in marketing just because of the end-all marketing perspective of things, but it's not the end-all be-all. And some businesses, especially I think sometimes small local businesses can forego it, in, if, especially if they're time is limited, for more important things that will affect them greatly. That sounds yeah. heretical almost. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's actually, it's a really interesting point to think about that. You always think about content and the various, you know, the various levels of content, the various parts and the funnel that you're trying to target with your content, but in reality, content could just be one part of the overall funnel itself, intrinsically. Yeah, and there's another podcast. I think uh, I think it was Coffee Blogger. They had a guest on whose name I forgot. I sorry, I'll find it and maybe we can put it. You said out. We'll link to it. <laughs> okay. There we go. Where the guy was essentially saying, like, if you like expand your mind 
in, in essence, everything out there on the internet and even not on the internet that is about your business is in fact actually content, quote unquote, like reviews, user generated content or, or reviews are user generated content. You don't necessarily have control over it, but it's content about your business. So I think if, if we sort of like, you know, expand or zoom out a little bit, we can see that um, everything is content and content is everything. But there are some things that that don't necessarily work for certain businesses and, you know, like a pillar may be one of those things, but they can quote unquote have content in other places that serve them better. That's a really, really, really great way to think about that. Really balanced way to think about that, actually. That's yeah. refreshing to hear, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm not deluded to think that like, oh, I can solve everyone's problems immediately with content. Not, five easy steps, 10 ways to solve all the problems of your content marketing in exactly. one article. Content, That's content, right. content. <laughs> content is king. I don't know why it's not queen, but it should be both. Anyway, um, I hate to do this to you, but I have to do this to you because I do this to every guest. I have this bit I call optimize or disavow, and it's basically I'm going to give you either two really good options or two terrible options, and you have to choose one of them. So in one case, you're choosing one really good option, discarding the other really good option, and in the other case, you have to choose one really crappy option, and you have to put your name on that. Which we, don't, we won't hold it to you, of course, because we know it's a game. Yeah. But are you willing to play Optimize It or just about with us? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm oh, ready. right. So this is the Karen Linden version of Optimize It or Disavow It. So sound and robust content pillars or energetic link building. If you can only do one, you, only, you have to choose one. Would you create a comprehensive content pillar? at the sacrifice of really focusing on link building? Or would you create your standard sort of mediocre run-of-the-mill content, but give link building your full and focused attention? So uh, this was actually super easy for me. <laughs> because <laughs> Everyone always says that, by the way. Yeah, this is like super. I'm like sitting here like sweating. I, got, I had to figure out this bit and figure out like, a great question to corner somebody. <laughs> and it never works. I don't know why I try. Go ahead. Uh, so the reason this was super easy for me is because I feel like a lot of times um, or at least a lot of content people I know, a lot of SEO people I know were like very introverted. So we'd rather like not actually have to engage in things like link building. I actually host SEO chat on Twitter and every time we talk about link building, everyone's like, just create great content. Like you just create great content. Then you, and everyone's like, you won't have to actually call and talk to people. Like that's the thing. People don't want to like email people or I think a lot of people feel like link building is like begging to have your links included. Like, oh, please say I'm worthy. But I'm sort of in that camp too. Like I hate asking for a link. And I do think, you know, like it's always like theory versus practice. But in theory, if you're creating excellent content, it'll show up in search engines. It'll serve users' needs and people will link to it. I understand, though, that it does require, like, promo sometimes, and you got to sometimes, you know, be the person who begs for a link. But if I had to disavow link building in this scenario, I would 100% go for creating awesome content and hoping that the world recognizes it for what it is. <laughs> this is why I like having content people on, not SEO people sometimes. I'm totally with you. I am not a big fan of trying to ask for links. I find yeah. it so awkward. It is super awkward, and then... You know, there. I think there was a big controversy on SEO Twitter a while back about this news organization being like, we don't link out to anyone. And right, just um, mentions. Yeah, like people were so miffed about that. And I was like, you know, like if, if they linked out to every single person who probably asked for it, then it would just be like 
you know, a bunch of linking to people they probably also don't necessarily believe in their product or service. They're just like writing a new story about. So I'm cool with that. I feel the same way. Like if someone asks me for a link and I'm, especially when it's weird and they're like, I see you're mentioning like lawn care. And I wrote this thing about hair care put me in your section of your site right. and I'm like get away from me like go away you <laughs> so it's, it's... maybe i just hope that no one responds to me the way i respond to other people <laughs> so like that's the thing like you, because people always ask me when i do ask somebody which of course never happens it's there's always that like anxiety in my mind or that self-conscious like do i sound like that person yeah because yeah. i really not like myself if i do yeah, so yeah you, you sit there slaving that. over the email right like, yeah. okay, how does this sentence sound? How does this, I'm going to change. And, and, and what should take five minutes is like a three hour event. Right, right. <laughs> and you're like yeah. editing your email to them and then you just don't send it. You're like, is it worth it? I don't <laughs> think so. Pretty much. And then someone asks, did you ever ask for that link? I'm like, oh, right. So let me get back to that. Just By the way, thank you for reminding me about the, um, about the SEO chat. I totally forgot to plug that. I'm really sorry. Oh, yeah, no worries. I like to mention it like casually. You know, that's my link, nice. link that was for, good. My SEO, for my Twitter chat. <laughs> I will make sure to put a link and you don't have to ask. I'll just do it. Cool, cool. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Any other links you want to send me? You don't have to write, you, just, you can just send me the links. You don't have to even write hi. I'll just put them in. Cool, cool. So, yeah, cool. no worries. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. So, thank you very much, Carolyn, for coming on. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. I, again, I love talking content, really insightful, and I do really appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was exciting. I can talk content all day, as you can tell. <laughs> so I'll have to have you on again to talk more content. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. And we are back to your regularly scheduled In Search SEO podcast. She was super nice, by the way. I really enjoyed interviewing her. Um, actually, by the way, I did check out SEO chat on Twitter, the, the last Thursday's uh, session, which I, I'm not a big Twitter chat guy. And in this particular instance... It's really bad timing for me because my like my it's it's when my kids are most active, but I did check it out and it was great and it was a lot of fun and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do the whole Twitter chat thing again I think I'm gonna try at least but definitely check out SEO chat it was a lot of fun and if your kids are screaming just do what I did said okay I'm out my kids are screaming I literally wrote something like that anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun yeah yeah so what's next. Uh, the poll question. Ah, the poll question. Okay, so with what we just heard from Carolyn. How important is mapping out your content? Okay, so be honest. Okay, I'll be honest. Okay, I'm always honest, but I'll be honest. I don't always map out my content. You heard it here first. It's horrifically as that sounds. Um, sometimes I have a general approach and I go with it. And times I, I feel like I need to be a little more fluid. And there are times where I get into highly specified mapping processes, and, and I'm okay with that ebb and flow, okay? Um, so again, how important is mapping out your content to you? Be honest. From this week to last week, let's see the results from last week's poll question where we asked, how important do you think influencer marketing is? And a whopping 73% of you thought it was either important or really important. Some Interesting thoughts on this one. Marilyn Moran at Philly Marketing on Twitter. That's at Philly Marketing on Twitter said, and this was in response to influence, influencer marketing not being huge within the, within the SEO community uh, and considering that there's a ton of link building potential with influencer marketing, you would expect it to be huge within the SEO community. She said, I think most people want the instant gratification that influencer marketing brings. 
not the bigger picture of how a relationship can be built. The long haul, if you will, and that's very true. Okay, we, I, I am guilty of this as well. You associate influencer marketing with that big, you know, that big share. Uh, 100,000 people now see this. Great. As opposed to if I have a relationship with an influencer and I get my, my links on their, on their, within their content, I can create a more robust link profile. That's a long haul process that's not so attractive. Okay, also, Svi Zucker, that's at T-Z-V-I-Z-U-C-K-E-R on Twitter said that while he views influencer marketing as a very important item, his company doesn't partake in it because, quote, it's not a good brand fit, which is an interesting point that gets overlooked. For example, if you are a sort of behind-the-scenes business, it's probably not a good fit. Influencer marketing is probably not a good fit for you. You're probably not a good candidate for it. So yeah, it definitely depends on the type of business that uh, that you have. So thank you both to Marilyn and Svi for, particip- for participating in the poll question. All right, should we do the news? Yes, yes. That's the only reason I got up this morning. Really? That's sad. <laughs> wow. I mean, before you said I'm living in paradise. The only thing that's bothering me is doing algorithm <laughs> update information, but your life sounds sad. The only reason you got up this morning for the news? Yes. It's wow. What I live. And it's scripted. So you, you know what you're going to say even. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Everyone send some pity over to Kim's way. Okay, then. <laughs> Take it away then, Kim, with the news. Google has added a carousel of popular products that appears within the organic results, fittingly calling it a popular products carousel. So I'm, I'm going to save my comments for the, for the next story you have on your list. So g- go right ahead. Sure. New really innovative additions to image search. For starters, Google is adding sponsored images that look like a regular image, where when you hover over it, you can see how much some of the items within the image cost. Also, Showcase Shopping's ads will be coming to image search. This ad format will be a carousel of images with a brand display that appears at the top of the image search. Okay, so, so, so now I'll comment. Common theme. A far more subtle way to advertise. I think that Google's now, um, it's not only realized the power of images, right? But that image ads are perfect. They're the perfect way to present subtle sponsorships. Okay, that works as a carousel on the syrup. It can work as images with price overlays, but it's seamless. It's not, you don't really know it as an ad. It just looks like it's organically placed. It's just part of the whole, the whole shebang. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Last is Google is letting businesses put a carousel of offers into their business profile. This means the local panel will show a carousel of offers on the SERP for branded queries. Okay, so need I say more? Another seamless way to add product to the SERP. Okay, so while this is not a sponsored format, it definitely turns the SERP into a more seamlessly dynamic place for products, meaning it's a better way to compete with Amazon on their own properties, within their own properties on their own SERP. Okay. From products to products, let's stick with products, but this time, let's get fun with it. Fun it is. I'm not sure that's sarcastic or not, but it is time for your fun SEO send-off question. Okay, so for today, I have, since we're talking about uh, products, lots of products in, in ads and image ads and carousels on the SERP, which kitchen appliance is Google? Which kitchen appliance is Google? Okay, very creative as usual. Again, sarcastic. I need a- 
No, no, really. Okay, thank you. I need a minute to think about this one. And I have a suggestion for a send-off question myself. Should I say it now or later after our answers? Oh, uh, you choose. Later. Later. Okay. Right, so uh, let, me, let, me, let me take this one. I think Google is a blender. Hmm. Mm-hmm, because it's so good at blending ads and product placements for a seamless product SERP. Get it? It's blending it in. It's all seamless. <laughs> that was so corny and bad. Yeah, what do you got? <sighs> so the only answer to this question, I think, is a standing mixer with all the accessories. It's like a monster in the kitchen, and it's a tool <laughs> you can use for whatever you like. And once you start using it, you cannot live without it. Yes, I cannot live without my standing mixer. What's a, what's a standing mixer? It's um, one of those KitchenAid ones. Oh, KitchenAid. Okay, I know oh. that. And you can plug in all different accessories to make um, bread, ravioli, or spaghetti, even or oh. juices. Really? So I always we use it for bread. I know what it is. I know what it is. I know the KitchenAid. The bread is also good. Okay. But there's more. There's more. There's, you heard it here. There's more than bread. Oh wait, wait. What's your question? So, what would Google eat for breakfast? Oh, well, okay. Tune in next week to find out. Yes. That will be the that will be next week's question. Okay, that will do. Oh, by the way, you're officially taking over the questions now. That you've used once you start doing them, that's it. It's all over. Maybe that's the only one I can ever think of. <laughs> well, we'll just keep asking the same one every week then. Okay, that will do it for us. This 18th episode of the In Search SEO podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next Tuesday for an all new episode. Until then, this has been In Search because we're all in search of something. Thank you. See you then.